What's up guys? Welcome to Fireplace. We're super glad that you joined us for worship today, whether it's um, Saturday evening, Sunday morning, or Sunday evening, wherever you are. Um, here we are, um, really excited to worship with you guys. Um, and as you can tell you, we are virtual and on your screen, meaning that you are one of our house churches. And it's really awesome that we get a chance to be able to worship together as a family from different spots and different places. Um, Actually, we're coming to you live from our um, from our Kyle for Worship Night, and it's really cool that we have opportunities to, um, yeah, come together um, with our students to be able to worship the Lord, to be able to have a time of um, connecting up with God, right? And this is this is awesome because it's not really limited. Like this is a Friday night for us right now, um, but we recognize that it's not limited, right, to um, the specific day of the week. It's not limited to a specific time of of, of a service or set. In fact, it's not even limited to a corporate time, right? But what a special time that we have to be able to bring our own individual expression of worship before the Lord. You know, our own individual, like, man, when I'm in my closet with God, right, it is a connection that is unique, this individual, right? But the way that I connect with God is not going to be the same way that Jessica connects with God. It's not going to be the same way that Zach connects with God. It's going to be a whole different message that God is speaking, right? A whole different um, revelation that God is revealing to us that. But the thing is, um, when we come together as a family, right, it's this whole thing of unity, right? It's the whole thing of how, um, man, you talk about, and I, I won't go too long on this. I won't go too long on this because we got worship, y'all. But, um, but man, in the book of um, Zechariah, it talks about how God is joining the foreign nations unto, unto Jerusalem, unto Zion. And it talked about how once that happened, once God joined all the different nations together, then his spirit dwelled in the midst of it, right? Talk about, you think about David when he's like, man, I will not give rest to my eyes. I will not give myself sleep until I find a dwelling place for the Lord. And later he's like, man, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Guys, here we are in literally different pockets across um, the Nurga Valley, and we're coming together in unity, right? And then even later, it says that, man, like, um, it says that, uh, yeah, God has desired it. This is your dwelling place. You are so desired it, right? Guys, we are fulfillment of God's dream today. We are fulfillment of his dream in 2020, in this present moment, that he's joined different expressions of his heart, of his creation, in one place and gathered in the name of Jesus, y'all. I believe his spirit's going to dwell here today. I believe his spirit's going to be present as we lift up our song of worship so let's just, um, yeah, enter into worship with that same heart and that same mind that God is seated in the midst of the praise of his people. We are his temple, right? His, his collective temple. This is who we are. So God, we just thank you so much, God, that we get to be your dream come true. God, I thank you, Lord, that we here in Virginia or um, wherever we're, we're, we're listening from or we might be online on Facebook wherever in the nation, wherever in the world, um, or even on ESPN radio. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, that um, you see us. God, that you hear each individual expression of worship. God, that you desire it, Lord, that you love it, Lord. God, that you had so desired, God, for whoever's listening, Lord, to be drawn unto your heart. God, and we thank you so much, Lord, that the word says that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. God, we're expecting for you to meet us where we are here. And so we surrender our hearts, our lives, our burdens, our issues, our joys, everything, God. And we say, may you have your way. May you be glorified. We're here for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Sunday morning or Saturday evening, depending on when your house church is watching this. And also a big hello to all of you who are watching online or listening on ESPN Radio. So happy for you to be with us today and so happy we get to uh, have this conversation, discuss the Word of God together and apply it to our time and our day. Um, I want to first just talk a little bit about just the happenings of our nation right now. Now, normally uh, I don't uh, talk a lot about current events, and I particularly don't talk a lot about politics. Uh, Political commentary is not necessarily my thing. Uh, But I do want to address it today uh, just as it pertains to us as believers. How do we respond in moments like this? Man, uh, things are tense right now in our nation um, you know, I, I've seen uh, a few elections in my time, but I've never seen one like this one. And, and right now, we don't know quite how this is going to turn out. I'm recording this on Friday evening, so maybe something happens between now and when you see this, or maybe not. We might know the uh, results of this election next week. We might not know them until the end of next month. Um, but, you know, one thing I, I can guarantee you, is that there are people that feel strongly about one side or the other. 
And however this cookie crumbles, whichever side of the election wins, there's going to be a group of people that feel as though they've been cheated. Whether it was somebody who was offered this glimmer of hope by that poll or this pundit or this thought process or uh, something they discovered on this far corner of the Internet. There are going to be different people with different glimmers of hope. And when the cookie crumbles, their hope is going to be snatched from them, and they're going to be upset. And like I said, I don't know how it's going to go down. I don't know who uh, ultimately wins this. But I, I do know that people are going to feel as though something has been taken away from them. Now, why do I bring that up today? Once again, this is not uh, my political commentary. Uh, this is not me uh, discussing current day events for for that cause and particular reason. But today I want to talk to you about... No matter what the outcome of this is, you are not excused from conducting yourself like a Christian. If you are a believer, this doesn't write you a blank check to to disregard the teachings of the Bible and to act differently and to 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 begin to dislike somebody. Uh, you, I mean, imagine you getting all of your sins forgiven by Jesus and all of a sudden deciding you're going to hate somebody because they didn't vote the way you did. Uh, I mean, this isn't you getting the opportunity to spike your political football when your guy wins. That doesn't sound a lot like the humility that Jesus has called us to. You, you're not going to be excused from your mandate as a believer to pray for our leaders if your guy didn't win. So today, I want to for us to look into the scripture, and we're going to learn some things about humility. And what, what I'm going to teach you today uh, doesn't just apply to the current political tension in our nation, although it certainly does. So I want you to take what you learned from this chapter of the Bible today as we look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, and, and filter your, your current experience through it, but also realize this pertains to more than where we are right now. Now, the passage I am sharing with you today uh, comes from the book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church. And we we studied this book, um, gosh, back in the spring, but this spring seems like a long, long time ago. So a refresher course on this one. Basically, the book of Philippians is one big thank you letter to the Philippian church. The church of Philippi sent and support the Apostle Paul as he left on his next missionary journey. And they continued to send funds and help and resource to him so that he could be effective in spreading the gospel in other locations. Now, when one of the other things that's important to understand about this particular context is the Apostle Paul experienced a certain level of persecution, shared that persecution with them, and was at the moment of him writing this letter, was experiencing another level of persecution. If you read chapter 1, he addresses those issues. You suffered with me. Now you hear of my suffering. And he's talking about the level of suffering he's experienced. And he's actually dealing with um, the religious elite of his day and the political elite of his day, both conspiring to kill him, jail him, all of that kind of stuff. So another reason why I think this is very uh, apropos to where we are at today, no matter what you thought the worst case scenario was of the other side from who you voted for winning, it's probably not nearly as bad as the political scenario that the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church find themselves in. 
they they are being stoned to death. They are being put in prison. They are being beaten. They are losing their jobs. They, some of them are being beheaded. Uh, the, there was a emperor at that time called Nero who, uh, you just do a little history check on him. He did some pretty gruesome things to people just simply because of their faith in Jesus. So why I, I mention this context is, uh, man, no matter what you thought was going to happen uh, at the results of this year's election, I guarantee you the Apostle Paul was facing a much more dire situation than you and I. So if he can say the kinds of things that he said to the Philippians in their situation, they speak even louder in our situation. So we're going to start Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation and love and fellowship in the Spirit and affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unity, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. You know, that, that verse starts off with the word therefore. Uh, a little Bible lesson for you. Anytime you hear the word therefore, jump back a little bit, a chapter, a few verses, whatever, and find out what the therefore is therefore. When, when he uses the word therefore, he's continuing a thought. Uh, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, he just got done talking about how the, the persecution that he was suffering. Yet at the same time, he was rejoicing in the midst of his persecution. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Therefore, if there's any consolation in his love. If there's any fellowship in the Spirit. If there's any affection or compassion. He, he's saying, Paul tells this group of people who are in the midst of persecution. If your relationship with God has created any level of encouragement, love, fellowship, affection, or compassion in Christ then this thing you're experiencing in Philippians in your relationship with Christ, extend this compassion to others. Extend this to others. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He goes on and says, do not do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. He, he confronts selfishness and uh and conceit, but he counters selfishness and conceit with humility. He says, but with humility, consider one another more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interest of others. He, confront, he confronts the selfishness and empty conceit with the act of humility. Consider others higher than yourself, uh, putting the others' needs uh, ahead of yourself. The level of humility is a good measuring reed for our own spiritual maturity. If, if we walk around um, and we walk into a room and we immediately begin thinking about our own self-interest. How do people view me? Are people going to listen to the story I'm going to tell? What are they looking at? How are they perceiving me? And if I walk into a room and, I am, and I'm so immature and so shallow that I walk into the room and it's about me... It's a good measuring read for me to let to understand that I am not extending the blessing that I've received in Christ. This this fellowship that I've received in the Spirit, this um, 
encouragement in Christ, consolation of love. I'm not extending this to other people. If I am continuing to behave in a way that says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to look out for number one, me. I, I'm going to walk into this room and, and make a big deal about me. But, but if I walk into a room and say, man, who am I here to love? Who am I here to listen to? Who am I here to bless? Do, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Consider one another more important than yourself. Come on. How can you say to someone, um, you, are, you are important today? I, I, I put myself on the back burner, not in a self-deprecating way, not in a way that, that you know, is, is burning you out. I, but how can I say, uh, out of a place of humility, let, let me look for somebody to listen to, to bless, to encourage, to extend this consolation, this hope that I have in Christ Jesus. How can I come into their life? Like I said a little while ago, man, there, there are some people that are, are seriously uh, upset right now. Whether we're talking about this election, whether we're talking about the pandemic, whether it's a personal situation in their life, there, there are people that, that, that are upset, they're, they're without hope, they're without consolation, and you have the consolation of Christ Jesus, you have the love of Jesus, and you have the opportunity to extend that to them, but it takes humility. It takes saying, saying you know what, I, I, I will consider myself less important in this moment. And in this scenario, I want to extend this consolation and hope to others. And you say, well, Pastor Alvin, how can I grow to be this kind of a person? I'm glad you asked that. The, the Apostle Paul actually answers that with the very next verse. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude? The attitude he was just referring to. The attitude of, of humbling yourself, considering others more important. Have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross." The Apostle Paul, in the first few verses we read there, he talked about, hey, you need to, you need to really uh, put others first and, and, and humble yourself. Even if, even if you uh, are, are in this position of importance, walk into the room and consider others more important than you. And, the, and, he, and he says, you know what, we can look at the person of Jesus and see exactly how to do this. He was God. Fully God. He, the Bible talks about how in the beginning was the Word. John, John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to talk about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus left heaven, took on flesh, and not just grown-up flesh. He started out in baby flesh. Come on, talk about the ultimate act of humility. God himself, the master and creator of the universe, nothing was made without him. All things were made for him and by him. All things are held together in Christ Jesus. Left 
the creature comforts of heaven. He, he, he left the, the, those golden streets. He, he left the, this place of ultimate holiness and a place where sin doesn't exist, where the, the living creatures sit round about the throne and worship God day and night, night and day. He leaves that, takes on human flesh, and not just any human flesh, but baby flesh. God Almighty had his diaper changed. God Almighty had to be fed. And he says that, that being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Not only did he humble himself by becoming like one of us, while I'm there, I'm going to do something that shows them what humility really looks like. If I, want, if I wonder today, me, living in 2020, a dad, a pastor, a friend, a regular guy, if I'm wondering, now what does humility really look like? I need to look no further than Jesus on the cross. I need to look no further than Jesus died on the cross because you know he he did, he humbled himself. God Almighty. When you think about that, not only were the people who nailed him to the cross subservient to the the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, but think about the the tree that he was nailed to the the wooden cross beams. All things were made by him. He created that tree. The, the iron ore that the miners dug out of the side of the mountain that a blacksmith fit, fashioned into nails that pierced him to the tree. He created that. He so humbled himself that he allowed his creation to pin him to the cross, not for his benefit, but for theirs. For my benefit and for your benefit. He, he said, you know, I, I'm not going to consider myself so important that I won't humble myself and go to the cross. There's a prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross. When he was in the garden, he said, God, God if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but Father, your will be done. He humbled himself in obedience to the Father's will. He went to the cross because there was no other way to, to benefit you and I with salvation. Come on, if, if today I'm wondering what humility looks like, I need to look no further than Jesus. Jesus living that sacrificial life, first of all, becoming a human, but then paying the ultimate sacrifice, going through public ridicule in the process not for his own benefit, not for his own goodness, but for, for the benefit of us. We benefited of that. It was the Father's will, and, and, and because of the Father willed him to do it, he did it, he was obedient to it. And, and yes, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and his name is forever exalted because of what he did in that moment. But ultimately, you and I received the benefit of what he did. Today, when you and I act in humility, true humility... Is, is what the Apostle Paul has described here is us saying, you know, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another more important than yourself. Not merely looking for your own personal interest, but looking for the interest of others. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was looking out for the interest of others. He was just fine before the cross. He was just fine before the incarnation walking in human flesh. But for the interest of others, he said, you know, I will humble myself. I will walk in this way. I will consider others more important than me. How can you and I today say that, that I, I'm going to walk in the ways of Jesus? 
Now, you and I are not going to go to the cross and die for anybody's sins. That, that has already been done, and you wouldn't have the ability to accomplish that. Only Jesus could do that. But how, how do you and I, how do we continue to die to self and live in a, in a place of humility and help to bring other people close to God and help to, to serve other people in a way that is Christ-like, exemplified in his humility? Let's see how the Father felt about Jesus' humility, though. Jump back in to verse 9. It says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This verse is important, obviously, to the subject of our salvation. This verse is also obviously important to the subject of Jesus' lordship. And this verse speaks so much to, you know, the Bible, theologians refer to this as soteriology, the, the theology of salvation. The fact that Jesus humbling himself, going to the cross, the Father was so honored and pleased by his humility and his obedience that the Father has highly exalted him has bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you know what? This, this passage not only refers to us voluntarily bowing our knee today, when you and I submit to Jesus in lordship and salvation, but it says that every knee will bow those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth. Eventually, every knee will bow and admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this, this verse is important when it comes to salvation. This verse is really important when it comes to understanding his lordship. But there's a reason why the Apostle Paul wedges these verses right here into this conversation. This conversation about humility and about considering others more important than you. We, we see something here, by, by the way the Apostle Paul wedges this into the overall conversation uh, he is having with the Philippians, shows us something about the character of God. Something that this shows us about the character of God is that God honors humility. Yes, this is an absolutely important verse about salvation. Yes, this is an absolutely important verse when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus. And what I'm saying right here doesn't take anything away from that. This right here also teaches that the character and nature of God is when he sees humility, he is honored by that and he blesses it. There, there's a phrase that pops up three times in the Bible. That God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, if the Bible says something once, it's important. <laughs> uh, if he repeats it, uh, it's, it's really important. If he, if he repeats it multiple times, pay attention. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, if we are so prideful that, that God says, I have to oppose you, that's a bad day for us. God, God uh, I've, I've been on the opposition of a lot of things in my life. Whether it was the opposition of gravity, whether it was the opposition of an opponent in sports, uh, that there are some things that I that I came in opposition against that I was able to have victory over, and some things that I came in opposition against that had victory over me. But I can guarantee you this: if I am in opposition with Yahweh, He wins. But in humility, I position myself to receive grace. And when, when, I, when I approach life with humility, when I approach people with humility, when I approach God with humility, I am positioning myself to not stand on opposition of God, 
but stand in the spout of where his grace pours out and say, this is who I, who I am. I'm being honest before God about who I am. God, I want to walk in humility. I want to consider others higher than myself. I want to honor the people around me. And God says, I can honor that and I can bless that. With this example of Jesus' humility in mind, the Apostle Paul also teaches us why we should remain humble. Look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or arguing, so that you will prove yourself as blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you have appeared as lights in this world. Hold firmly to the word of life, so that on that day of Christ I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Here Paul tells us to remain humble. Remain humble in the midst of, of a crooked and perverse generation. It says, do all things without complaining or arguing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If, if, if we can... If we can remain humble, if we can, if we can walk uprightly before God and we can walk through life without this complaining and arguing, that comes from a place of pride, generally speaking, when we are complaining and arguing about everything. It comes from a place of pride. It, come, it doesn't come from our humility, our complaining and arguing. Uh, we, if we can walk with humility in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you stand out in the crowd. If, if you if you stay humble, if you if you have have this attitude that is in Christ Jesus, if you have that when you walk about in the midst of the world, even in the midst of the church, but particularly in the midst of the world, you you stick out as different. When everybody else is is freaking out, when everybody else is angry, when everybody else is upset, when everybody else has their pride on full display, and you walk in humility and you're honoring people, and you and as the Apostle Paul says, you are doing nothing from selfishness and empty conceit. You're like, hmm, that's, that's different. Because he's selfish, he's selfish, he's selfish. He's got empty conceit, she's got empty conceit. And, and, and that's what they're used to. That's normal. And, they, and they're so used to everyone operating under the spirit of selfishness and, and conceitedness. And all of a sudden you walk in as a breath of fresh air, full of humility, full of the grace of God, full of the life of Christ Jesus. And they're like, wow, this is different. This is a bright and shining light in the midst of our perversion, in the midst of our of our crookedness. All of a sudden, here comes someone walking straight away, uh, conducting themselves in the humility of Jesus. When we do this thing right, not not necessarily the way religion has taught you, not just necessarily the way uh, American um, Christianity has taught you, but if we if we walk in what the Bible says. All of a sudden, we stick out. We're different. We're, 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 not, we're not just a subculture within a culture. We're, we're counterculture. We're going against the flow. There's crookedness and perversion going this way, and here comes light and humility going against it. All of a sudden, we stand out. 
We're different. And in, in the midst of standing out and being different, as lights in this world, people are coming to Christ. They're seeing a difference in us. And, and all of a sudden, we are creating the kind of change, the kind of, of kingdom growth that Jesus has called us to. Verse 16 clues us in, though, to how we can stay grounded in humility. Verse 16 says, Holding firm to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I can take pride, because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. We can stay grounded in humility if we do two things. One, hold firmly to the word. What does the Bible say? That's what, what's my opinion, what's popular, what's the trend. What does the Bible say? Because I can tell you one thing about the more you interact with the Bible, the more it's going to humble you. <laughs> the more it confronts the areas of sin in your life. The more, the more I find out about God, the more I realize I really didn't know before. I'm constantly blown away by the things that after 20-some years of studying the Word of God, having two degrees in theology, I, I, I still read the Word of God and I'm like, are these degrees even worth the paper they were written on? Because I did not know this basic thing that, about God. And I will be constantly humbled by holding firm to His Word. I, I will be constantly humbled when I read something in His Word and it confronts an area of my life and confronts sin and selfishness and conceit in my life. And, and, and He is constantly humbling me and growing me more into my Christ-like nature. The second thing he shows us here that will keep you grounded is, is having an eternal perspective. He says, hold firm to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I can take pride because you did not run, I did not run in, in vain or labor. He says, man, hold fast to this so that when Jesus returns and when we all stand before him, I can look over there and see the Philippians. So you know what? I didn't do this in vain. They held fast. They held firm. They grew in humility. They were bright, shining lights. They, they, in the midst of a crooked first generation, they continued to pursue God. And they're here. Can I tell you, if you and I keep an eternal perspective, we have a biblical worldview and an eternal perspective, you and I will, will view life a whole lot differently. We'll, we'll, we'll look at uh, uh, somebody that we would might get into an argument with and try to have a selfish conceit type argument with them and I'm, I'm going to zing them and I'm going to prove them wrong and realize I might win the argument but in the process I might lose their soul. They might be so turned off by my pride that they'll never hear my message. I guarantee you if, if we kept an eternal perspective it would change some of the things we post on social media. If we kept an eternal perspective, it would change the way we view one another when we see each other, when we're walking down the street and interacting. When we have an eternal perspective, it would change the way we have selfishness. It would change the way we would try to put ourselves ahead of other people. Eternal perspective will say, you know what, I, I, I can go low in this moment, I can go low and, and humble myself in this moment because I consider their eternal destiny more important than winning this argument, than zinging them, than being right, than putting my selfish needs first. In this moment, I will consider them more important than me. And that's ultimately what Jesus did when he came from heaven to earth. He was fine. 
He had heaven already, but he didn't have us. We didn't have heaven. We didn't have salvation. And he lived a sacrificial life so that you and I could experience the grace of God. If you're watching this today and you're not absolutely sure that you're right with God, you have an incredible opportunity to get right with God today. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, for my sin. Why did he do that? Because my sin and your sin created spiritual death inside of you and I. And because of the spiritual death inside of you and I, there was no way that you and I could ever please God in within our own power. But because Jesus died and forgave us of our sins, when we accept his sacrifice and repent of our sin, we are now positioned to be pleasing to God. He loves uh, us uh, unconditionally, but we can't be right before him without the sacrifice of his son. So today, if you're not right with God, if you're listening on ESPN Radio, if you're watching uh, on one of our social media outlets, feel free to contact me. I would love to pray with you and talk to you about um, knowing Jesus. Uh, you, can, you can email me at pastoralvin at fireplacechurch.com, and I'd love to have that conversation with you. For those of you who are in house churches, if you need to make that decision today, please speak to your house church leader, and they will be glad to pray with you and talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. For the rest of us today, I have got a few questions for us. We're going to transition to question and answer time, and we're going to pray a little bit at the end as well. Uh, question number one, how does a lack of humility turn others off to our message. Question number two. What are some of the ways you are personally challenged by Jesus' humility? Number three. In verse four it says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interest of others. When you've been in situations where someone was obviously looking out for their own interest over yours, how did it make you feel? Question number four is the inverse of question number three. When you've been in situations when someone was looking out for your interest more than their own, how did that make you feel? I want to close this time with some prayer. Um, if you're in a house church, your house church leader is going to lead you in this prayer. But I want to challenge you guys for us to pray for this to be a growth opportunity for us, spiritual growth opportunity, that we can take this opportunity to learn to grow in our Christ-likeness. How, how could we use this time effectively to grow in our humility, to be more like Jesus? So I want you to pray for yourself, I want you to pray for your neighbor, but I also want you to pray for the body of Christ at large. How can we grow to be more like Jesus? Your house church leader is going to lead you in that prayer. I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye to you. We will see you next week. God bless you. See you then.